0: book of the, the New Testament, the book of Revelation, and I'd like you to turn to chapter one I'm not going to be able to read the entire section of Scripture tonight, but uh, at least we'll get something of it, and I'm going to be referring uh, to the passages as we move along. So chapter 1, Revelation, reading from verse 9. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white white. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And then what follows is we have a number of letters written to these seven churches. And I'm going to read the first one uh, to the church in Ephesus. So chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, uh, which I also hate. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. So just so far, the word of God tonight, let me pray for us. Lord, again, as we continue in worship tonight, we do pray as we consider uh, some of these passages from this book of Revelation, giving us some insight, understanding, and particularly, Lord, regarding the churches. And I pray that you would lead us, that you would enable us, Lord, to see the application and the truth that would apply among us and even to us here tonight. And Lord, we have sung so easily tonight, I surrender all. And I do pray that those would not simply be words rolled off our tongues, but Lord, that those words would come from a heart of sincerity, expressing love and devotion, and surrender to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a big library in my office, books that I've collected over many years now in the ministry, and there's a particular section in my library, and I'm going to comment or give you some of the titles of uh, some of those books. Um, Each one of these books offer an opinion on the church. The Purpose Driven Church, I'm sure most of you have heard of that particular book by Rick Warren. The Deliberate Church by Diva and Alexander. The Deliberate Church, at least the Intentional Church by Randy Pope. The Authentic Church by David Jackman. And that's not all, there are more books. Uh, Many opinions have been expressed, have been written regarding the church. And I think it's true, even those of us who are ordinary believers in a local church like this have strong views regarding what is a good church, what is a sick church, what is not a good church. And I even wonder among us tonight, some of you have come to the city from another place and you've been checking out to see what is a good church, what is the kind of church that you ought to be worshiping in. Now the struggle I think many of us have with so many opinions regarding the church, who do you listen to? Who's right? Who's wrong? What kind of things should you be concerned about at Central, at any particular church that you may consider attending? Well, in this revelation of Jesus Christ, this book of revelation, we see that he shows his servants in the first verse of chapter one, what must soon take place. And then Jesus goes on in the section that I've read and even beyond, and he spends a great deal of space giving his opinion of some specific local churches, we know that the book tells us that Jesus will return. Jesus is coming soon. But he's interested in the meanwhile, and we ought to be interested also, what is the present state of the church? What is the present state of the Central Baptist Church? So we have seven letters. here. I read the first one, the book, the letter to the book uh, to the church at Ephesus. Seven specific churches that existed at that particular time in history. And if you analyze the different letters, you'll find that they follow a definite kind of pattern. There's a template, it seems. Each letter has an introduction. Uh, going on to uh, a commendation, something they've done well. Also a rebuke, something they've not done so well. Uh, followed by a warning or a command or a promise. And then there is a closing formula. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so I'm convinced, I believe, that these letters have relevance to us Yet tonight. Churches down through the ages, churches until the Lord Jesus returns. Application for us. What is it that Jesus considers about the church? What does he think about the church? Now, I am going to tackle this thematically. It's not normally what we do. We would normally take uh, a passage and and work through it and perhaps uh, preach seven messages from these seven letters. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tackle it thematically, and I'm going to do three messages, God willing, uh, looking at the seven letters on particular aspects of what Jesus raises here. What are the crucial issues on the heart of Jesus as he writes to these letters? How can we take those issues and examine our own situation, even asking how do these matters inform the decisions we make regarding our church and maybe the decision that you need to make regarding a church that you will align yourself to? So three simple points tonight, and uh, I've entitled the the series "Church Matters." Bit of a play on the word there. And in the first instance, I want to show you the work you do matters to Jesus. The very first thing Jesus has to say to the church at Ephesus is, he says, "I know your works, your toil." And patient endurance, chapter 2, verse 2. And so Jesus here is noticing and commenting on the diligent labor of church members. Church is a body, no doubt, but it's a body made up of individual believers. And a church made up of these individual believers are meant to be doing good works. The Apostle Paul telling us elsewhere, good works prepared in advance by God for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. And if we look at the analogy of the lampstand given in this particular uh, portion of Scripture, that which we do conveys a message, a message, it should convey a message of light. The image of lampstands showing that through our deeds, through our work, through our service, there is something of the identity of the true church that can be seen. I do think, and I don't know if I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. In our own con- context in 2023, most people see the church as an event where people gather on a Sunday and they sing a few songs, they listen to a sermon, and they go home. That's not how Jesus sees the church. The church is a body A body of believers called the body of Christ with a mandate to serve. It's a mandate to serve God in the cause of the gospel, making disciples for the glory of God's name. It's a mandate to serve one another within the body, relationships and fellowship and partnership. And, And it's a mandate to serve not only inside of the church, but the purposes of God outside of the church as well. It should not be the exception to see members tired from hard work in the church. I don't think we'd like to hear that. Like Paul, we need to be extending ourselves beyond our comfort zones. There's a passage in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, that gives the, the sense of this going the extra mile in the context of our service. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, "...him we proclaim," that is Jesus, "...warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ." And this is what the apostle says. For this I toiled." Do you get the feeling over here? This guy's working. This I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Hard work. This is not a party on Sunday morning or Sunday evening. Rah, rah, and let's go home and do our thing. That's not God's design for the church. Working our fingers to the bone must be why the church at Ephesus, the church at Thyatira, Jesus commends them, enduring, patiently enduring, continuing. Time and again, I'm sure they must have considered, I'm done, considering them throwing in the towel. But they didn't. They pressed on. They continued to give themselves in the song we sang tonight, surrendering all, not just in song, but indeed to the hard work of gospel ministry. There's another one of the churches where Jesus finds it necessary to rebuke them. It's the church at Sardis, chapter 3, verse 1. The words of Him who is the seven spirits of God and the seven stars I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Now, seemingly, this church was doing something that gave some kind of evidence at a distance to life. But in terms of the work of God, in terms of the mandate of God, in terms of the life of God, nothing. Nothing. The, the busyness must have been their own stuff. And so the question has got to be, how are we doing at Central Baptist Church? How are we as, we, I was going to say I as we as young people. How are the young people doing? How are the older people doing? And, and sometimes I've heard from older people saying, you know, I used to do that. But now I'm done. It's now somebody else's turn. No, that's not the opinion of Jesus. We continue from when we are converted, when we become part of the church, we ought to be giving ourselves in hard work into the ministry that he has called us into. I think many people at Central are working hard. There's no doubt about that. But are we all stretched in some kind of gospel-related ministry, serving and encouraging and teaching and giving. We've, we've tried to develop, again, the discipline of giving in our evening service. Now, we're not just trying to collect a few rand to add into the budget. That's not the intention. We're trying to show that there is a service in coming to God, in worshiping Him, in giving Him something of what we ourselves have been entrusted with And so, can you be commended as one who is persevering patiently? The work you do in the church matters to Jesus. Number two, I've called this uh, the stuff you tolerate matters to Jesus. There were some people in the church at Pergamum, who held to the false teaching, we read in chapter 2 verse 14 of Balaam and the Nicolaitans in chapter 2 verse 15, is not acceptable to Jesus. He rebukes the church for tolerating error, for tolerating deceptive teaching. Also the church at Thyatira, chapter 2, verse 20. I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So what's he saying here? Well, the apostles were constantly on their guard, warning local churches that there will be teachers who slip into the church to spread false teaching and even erroneous practice. We know as we read the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul warning the elders in Ephesus, savage wolves, he says, will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. It's interesting to note that the letter to Ephesus that Jesus dictates commends them for identifying false prophets. Chapter two, verse two. So I have a question. I've been in the ministry a few years. Many of you have been around. Some of you have been around. You've been to different churches in the city. Perhaps you're connected with certain denominational groups or networks or whatever we call them these days. This is my question. Why is it that while the Bible constantly warns against falsehood, the Bible warns against lies and deception, Jesus yes, speaking about the importance of truth. Why is it the church at large so often is refusing to protect biblical truth? Why is that? It reminded me of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, the Apostle Paul Writing to young Timothy says, keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Don't believe the lie that doctrine isn't important. Because you have doctrine, whether you like it or not. The problem is it might be rotten doctrine that you've got. But you need to have good doctrine. You need to have biblical doctrine so that you can save both yourself and your Just seeing on the other end <clears throat> uh, this firm determination uh, is absent from Pergamum and Thyatira. They were happy to be tolerant. There were, some, there were some positive things in each of those places. But they were willing to compromise on allowing false teaching and, and gross immorality in their ranks. And so, it's, it's not easy, but we need to not pass over this, the harsh words that Jesus promises, the harsh retribution he promises to those who refuse to repent from error and immorality. Chapter 2, verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead. I mean, these are the words of Jesus. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. I will give to each of you according to your works. The stuff you believe and do matters to Jesus. Jesus has a passion for the integrity and holiness of the church. He will not tolerate his bride to be dirtied. I don't know if that's good grammar. And comprom- compromised by deliberate sin. It matters to him, it ought therefore to matter to us. The gate or the door at central ought to be guarded. The leaders must take up the task, and I trust they do. We do take up the task, watching for wolves in sheep's clothing, watching for snakes who are sly and cunning, who distort the truth, not taking the purity of the fellowship seriously, not taking doctrinal accuracy accuracy to heart. Thirdly, Your patient endurance matters to Jesus. So the example of Pergamum shows us that Satan is an enemy. He's determined, he's malicious, and there are at least two strategies that we ought to be aware of. Satan uses seduction, appealing to our desires, appealing to our ambitions, And then he also has a second line of attack that he sometimes uses in terms of persecution. The Babylon of Daniel's day, if we go back to the Old Testament, we see something similar. The authorities first attempted to seduce Daniel and his friends by giving them power and privilege. And then attempted to kill them when they resisted the seduction. At Pergamum, the first method had found some success. They were committing sexual immorality. Verse 14, they drifted into a promiscuousness and a self-indulgence. In Smyrna, persecution is on the rise. Chapter 2, verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So again, just seeing an indication, even as the devil works, that that also is under the the overall sovereignty and control of God, uh, specifying over here a particular length of time. I find it interesting that the two healthiest churches are the ones who face the fiercest persecution. Both Smyrna and Philadelphia are given special promises connected to their faithful defiance. Smyrna's endurance, enduring believers are promised a crown of life and are reminded that the second death cannot hurt them. It's no wonder that the church at Smyrna, later reporting the death of their pastor, Polycarp, said that he was crowned with a crown of immortality. The two churches here, Sardis and Laodicea, that show no evidence of conflict. It's like liquor. It's just peaceful. No sign of hard work. They're guilty of the worst kind of criticism a church can face. It seems they pose no threat to the world or the kingdom of darkness at all. They bother no one. So there's no enemy that needs to worry. There's no enemy to define, no enemy to attack. There's no gate to God. They're so compromised that there's no visible difference between that church, those churches, and the world. It's no surprise that there is a severe condemnation. Chapter 3, verse 15. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would would that you were either hot or cold. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Happy go lucky, go with the flow of froth and bubble. That kind of Christianity nauseates Jesus. It's popular amongst people that we can't deny. Jesus can't stand it. And so there is a challenger. Are we standing up against the enemy? Are we willing to resist the seduction? even if it means facing the pain of persecution. Faithfulness to God will lead to pressure from Satan. And the challenge for us, yes, with the help of God, we can stand firm. We can patiently resist. Because it matters to Jesus. And so just a few words in conclusion. I want to remind you tonight, I know people have been saying this down through the ages, and we simply don't know when, Jesus is coming soon. We ought to be busy. It matters to him what kind of church we are at the Central Baptist Church. And so there are these questions. If you consider yourself a believer, that means you're part of, a, of, of the church, of, of a local church. And how hard... Are you at work in the cause of Christ? Are you prepared to stand up and be counted biblical truth and holiness? But you need to be aware that Satan will make every effort to distract you from the gospel of Christ. Will you determine, I encourage you tonight, younger people, determine to spend your life for God. Determining with the help of God to patiently endure, it means to fix your eyes on Jesus. And let me quote from Hebrews chapter 12, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He was willing to go through the difficulty, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of God, at the, the right hand of the throne of God. Think about the church this week. Think about your participation in the church. What does Jesus think of it? And so, Lord, we pray, will you search our hearts by your Spirit? Lead us as the Central Baptist Church. We confess, Lord, we have spots and we have wrinkles. There's much work to be done among us and even in us as individuals. But take us forward, Lord, as the kind of church that can be a lampstand that conveys something of the magnificence of your gospel and and the glory of who you are as the Lord Almighty. Praying this in Jesus' name, amen.